A quick message before we start, if you're listening right now on Anchor or another service that you do not like, you can go right now to Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone, or Spotify if you have an Android, or any other platform that you enjoy, look our name up, and you can subscribe to us to get uh, a new notification every week. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to the latest episode of America's Recap. This week we're going to be looking at the most important events from each day, uh, give some context on each one, and then at the end I'm going to have a little bit of a discussion with my dad uh, about the state of vaccine development and to explain uh, how vaccines are actually developed. So this is your source for the best weekly news to give a recap of everything that happened. So let's start with what happened last weekend, starting with May 9th. Uh, The weekend, only one really major thing happened, and it was that Dr. Fauci, along with other members of the White House Task Force on Coronavirus, will start to perform more of their work from home uh, because they're trying to curb the spread of the virus within their little localized community. Uh, this is actually uh, continued throughout the week when the a lot more officials start to wear masks and they become a lot more careful. Everyone except the president and the vice president will sort of uh, start to follow these measures. And then on Monday, nearly 2,000 former Justice Department officials signed on to a letter calling for William Barr, who is the attorney general, to resign after his intervention in the criminal case of Michael Flynn. Now, if you remember, uh, just two weeks ago, Michael Flynn was acquitted on his charges of lying to the FBI during the Mueller investigation a few years ago, and all these former officials who used to work at the Justice Department are calling on Barr to resign because they believe that him and Trump uh, and President Trump colluded in some sort to, uh, to acquit uh, Flynn. So that's obviously like an ongoing investigation, uh, and there's not much that's clear on what exactly happened, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, and then, like I said on Monday, White House officials started to wear masks at all times. On Tuesday, U.S. District Judge Emmett G. Sullivan uh, put the Justice Department's decision to drop charges against Michael Flynn on hold as he believes that uh, there are a lot of individuals in the U.S. who would like to give input and suggestions on the case. So basically, he's opening the case up to uh, peer review and for anyone who would like to uh, give their own take or have any additional evidence regarding the case, which means that Flynn is actually not being acquitted yet. Uh, We're going to have to wait for this to play out before he can be released. And then at a virtual hearing before a Senate committee, Dr. Fauci uh, answered senators' questions, and he continued to argue for the importance of reopening safety safely uh, as long as case numbers start to lower. Basically, on Tuesday, he held a uh, Senate hearing among uh, members of the Senate, and they asked him questions about what he thinks about the situation. He basically reiterated that uh, we have to be very careful about reopening, uh, but that it's good for some states where cases are extremely low. Um, And then he also said some very interesting things about how uh, universities should not open in the fall and how it'll be a challenge to open regular high schools and middle schools and whatnot 
uh, in the fall. So that's a challenge we're actually seeing playing out right now. Uh, on Wednesday, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court struck down Governor Tony Evers' stay-at-home order. Uh, and the Supreme Court said that the governor alone does not have the authority to enact another extension of the order without input from the legislature. Basically, uh, Governor Evers tried to uh, extend his stay-at-home order without uh, taking a vote through the legislature or without taking a popular vote. Um, so the Supreme Court stepped in. They had a 4-3 to three decision uh, that was tipped by the four conservative judges on the court to basically say that the governor cannot do this. This led to a lot of problems, actually, in the days after Wednesday because it basically uh, ended the entire order itself and uh, leaving anyone to reopen. So a bunch of bars and a bunch of restaurants started reopening without any measures um, to, you know, curb the spread. So we'll have to see if, like, that actually ends up harming the state. And then also on Wednesday, which is separate from all the virus news, is that an amendment to the Patriot Act, if you remember, this was uh, more than a decade ago, uh, the Patriot Act allowed the U.S. government to access internet browser history and communication via a secret court at any time. This came after 9-11, and a lot of privacy advocates have said this is a, it was a horrible thing. Um, there was an amendment to it which was going through the uh, Senate on Wednesday, and it failed by just one vote. Um, and it was due to the lack of attendance by many senators who actually would have voted for the amendment. Uh, and the amendment was going to say that they can't do that anymore. Uh, they're going to have to uh, go through a public court if they ever want to access the information. And now that bill is basically killed. So, uh, And it's been going on for quite a while. That bill was in circulation for about a year. On Thursday, Senator Richard Burr stepped down as chairman of the in Intelligence Committee after his iPhone was seized by the FBI for an investigation into Burr's stock trades made just before the coronavirus tanked financial markets. So for a little context on this, in case you don't remember, Richard Burr is the senator who sold off about $1.5 of his investments. I believe it was in February. It was just a few weeks uh, before the stock market actually crashed. Um, and a lot... It's... Uh, thought of that he might have used his information as part of the intelligence committee to make that decision, uh, which would have been insider trading. His wife also sold off a significant amount of her stocks, as well as his brother and brother-in-law. So uh, there's a new investigation now into it. And, uh, you know, personal opinion is that, yeah, I think he will be indicted, but we'll have to see. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit is taking another look at a lawsuit directed against President Trump over his acceptance of payments from foreign and state governments regarding his hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. Uh, the investigation is basically saying that uh, Trump should not be allowed to house any uh, federal and state officials in his hotels because that money is technically being routed eventually to him. Um, and the appeals court is basically going to ask the Supreme Court to take on the issue uh, after uh, earlier last year, the uh, court viewed that it was fine for his hotels to keep doing it. Basically, they're extending the case for a few more months. On Friday, the House of Representatives passed a new 
$3 trillion spending bill. Um, this is actually more money than has been spent on the virus already. And this is just one bill. Uh, it's aiming to limit the fallout from the crisis with a, a huge cash infusion. Uh, I'll break it down for you. It's $1 trillion for state and local governments, which have been uh, faced enormous debt because they actually have to balance their budgets. They're not allowed to go into debt. Um, a new round of stimulus checks, which is the same cash amount as before, but it allows for up to $1,200 per dependent. $200 billion for hazard pay for essential workers, $75 billion for testing and tracing, and there's a lot, lot more in uh, specific things that the money is going towards. Um, this bill is almost everyone knows that it's not going to pass. The Senate uh, already said that they will not take up the bill. The president already said that he, he doesn't like the idea of passing it. He would probably veto it. This is almost like a show of from the Democrats to show what they would like. And it's like a start before negotiations actually begin. It passed the House, which is democratically controlled, by 208 to 199. Also on Friday, uh, also regarding the House, it approved the ability for House members to cast committee and floor votes from home, which is allowing the representatives to uh, distance and stay safe while still passing legislation. The measure passed 217 to 189. It was widely supported by Democrats who believe that the teleconferencing methods will allow uh, for bills to pass during this time and that the bill will end when the crisis is over. But Republicans said that the measure disrupts the very nature of the Constitution, that uh, they could not pass anything that would, they said it might make the framers unhappy. Um, but regardless, the bill passed. It's expected to be very temporary, uh, right, like only when the uh, coronavirus ends. And last piece of news from the week, retail J chain JCPenney announced that it will be filing for bankruptcy as it aims to close some of its stores and reassess the future of the business. So this is, has a huge context behind it. It's not just JCPenney that's uh, failing. The whole retail sector is under enormous pressure uh, because for the past you know, five, 10 years or so, they've been losing market share to companies like Amazon. And at the same time, the, the pandemic is affecting them the most because nobody is going out and buying things in malls, in person, in stores. So a few weeks ago, J. Crew and Neiman Marcus already declared bankruptcy. Now there's JCPenney. There are other retail brands that might go into bankruptcy in the coming weeks. Um, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, one thing to keep in mind is that this is not the end of these companies. For JCPenney in particular, they're going to um, just seek new investments from outside invest investors, and they're going to have a smaller company uh, that can continue to serve its customers, but on a smaller basis. That's all the major news for the week. Now I'm going to segue to a talk with my dad. Uh, his name is Dr. Vikas Malhotra. He's an oncologist at Florida Cancer Specialist. And he, he and I are going to try to uh, explain how a vaccine is developed and, you know, get into why it might take so long and help our uh, listeners understand how a vaccine is made. Okay, now I'm here with my dad and we're going to talk about how a vaccine is made, the process by which it's tested and how it actually gets released and distributed to market. 
Um, so start us off with how um, a vaccine is developed. Like what are the first few stages? Thank you, Vishnu, for having me. Uh, sure. So the basic idea of a vaccine is to introduce a part of the virus into the human body. That particular part you introduce is not by itself harmful to you, but stimulates the immune system enough so body will make antibodies to it. So the very first step is in identifying what part of the virus do you think has the best chance of doing that. So very specifically in the case of coronavirus, the part everybody's focused on are the spikes. As most of your listeners know, the virus has these very classical spikes on the surface which actually help the virus enter the human body. There's a particular receptor it goes through. So the idea is if we have these antibodies made by the human body, then it'll neutralize those spikes. And if the spikes are not available to latch on to the receptors, the virus cannot enter cells and the result it can cause infection. So that's the concept. So the very first step is that. Once that is identified, then you have to find a way how are you going to introduce it to the human body. So specifically, I'm going to talk about the Oxford vaccine that is uh, the most exciting development this past week, a particular vaccine called the uh, Chad Ox, and that stands for the chimpanzee adenovirus Oxford vaccine. Because so in that particular case, they took a vector. A vector is how are they going to introduce that into the body? So they took a virus, adenoviruses, the viruses that cause cold, common cold, and they took a virus that causes common cold in a chimpanzee. And they did studies and made sure that that particular virus is not infectious to the humans. So it's basically an inert virus, okay? Now you took that virus and you added the gene for the spike protein from the coronavirus. And then you introduce that. So the virus itself, the chimpanzee adenovirus is harmless to humans, won't do anything. And when that goes in your body, it's going to replicate and that spike protein gene is going to make the protein and your body will recognize that and attack it and make antibodies against it. So that's called the, the still the preclinical step. Okay. And then you have to do animal testing. Animal testing means, which we just got word this week uh, in, uh, in the U.S. There was a study done with the rhesus macaque monkeys. These are the closest thing we have to uh, what will replicate human immunity. Their genetics are almost 94% similar to ours. And um, the, the, what they did was they took nine monkeys. Six of the monkeys got this vaccine they're developing. Three monkeys got nothing, okay? Now they exposed all nine of the monkeys to COVID virus. All six who got the vaccine, none of them developed pneumonia, which is fantastic. It was very protective to them. Out of the three who didn't get the vaccine, two of them got pneumonia, the monkeys we're talking about. Mm. So this is called animal testing. So this is very exciting. So obviously we know the purpose of animal testing is exactly that, to make sure that we actually can demonstrate some degree of protection. Then we go into four phases of trials. Phase one is what we're doing now. So the Oxford vaccine is in phase one, which is they're taking human volunteers. And the basic idea is to make sure it's a safe vaccine, that they're not seeing that some people get the vaccine and they suddenly develop this odd you know, side effect, then they will stop right there. Uh, so safety is, and also they will draw blood from those volunteers to see that how much of an antibody titer they make. We can check that antibody titer, it's very easy to check. So 
the they are taking volunteers and those are ongoing now in UK and America both. And we're going to measure the, uh, the antibody titers and demonstrate that it's actually doing that in humans as well. Then we go to phase two. Phase two is larger study, which actually is going to try to show the efficacy of the study. Uh, when you, you take the volunteers, you give them the vaccine, and then you expose some of them to the virus in a lab setting and see if they develop the infection or not. Mm. A phase three is a much larger study where you will actually take the vi um, uh, thousands of patients, vaccinate them, and then let them go in the community and see how many catch the infection from the community or not. Okay, and phase four is post-marketing surveillance where you actually will monitor these patients for years to make sure they don't develop any bad side effects long-term. Now, phase four is not essential for us to release a vaccine to the public. We can release it at phase three, uh, but that'll continue. The post-marketing surveillance continues for years and years. So these are the basic steps. And the idea is exactly what I said, is to find a portion of the virus that will elicit the immune response without actually causing the infection itself. So how, how high is the probability that during stage four that uh, problems get revealed over the course of a few years? Oh, very high. I mean, you know, so I would say in, in, if there are any major signals, we find them generally within a year or two. Some very mild signals means that something is happening only one case out of 10 million. We may not see it for five years, 10 years. But mm -hmm. again, remember, if we have 2,000 Americans dying every day or 1,000, I can't remember what the number is. Mm -hmm. Regardless, it's a high number. Mm -hmm. And you develop a vaccine which unfortunately causes one death in 10 million, you will take that because you're still saving millions of lives over the one person that you would unfortunately lose. My point is, it's again a game of averages. So we would not wait for very rare odd side effects. We would certainly want to identify that it is not causing problems in 50% of people. That would be a problem. If you gave a vaccine and half the people got really bad, just say, for example, nerve damage, obviously that's a no-go. Okay, that's right there. We know is a bad signal. Mm -hmm. Those will pick up early. Mm -hmm. Those will have an answer. So I'm very optimistic that we have a vaccine within a year. So on that fast track that they're using for the coronavirus vaccine versus the normal process, which can take five, ten years, maybe longer, what are they shortening? Are they skipping the stage four or are they just shortening it or how are they doing it? So, yeah, very good question. Um, first, all hands are on deck, means the normal processes, these applications can sit with FDA for months. Mm -hmm. That won't happen. You'll be getting answers back within days to weeks. Okay, so... The administrative process is definitely the red tape is being cut completely. All all uh, governments are doing that. Secondly, yes, the part that will be compromised to a certain degree will be long-term safety. That we won't know for a period of time. But like I said, the metric is very clear in my mind. There's an immediate clear and present danger now that we have to protect against versus the potential for some odd effect that can show up many years from now. So in terms of giving the vaccine to uh, all people, do you think there's a chance that there will be uh, exceptions like pregnant women or for very young children? Or is that very hard to say right now? It is hard to say right now because so how it would uh, start out is we would obviously enroll our medical health professionals, first responders, people who are the front lines of this in the ERs and uh, hospitals. 
then we will enroll our most vulnerable population like the elderly over 60, 65. So the studies in pregnant women take a little bit longer and they, there's a possibility that uh, we may have to uh, delay that out for a little bit more. Uh, but I do not know the answer to that at this mm. time. Uh, if this vaccine is developed and everyone gets it over the next few years, uh, will this be uh, like another vaccine that's given to every child when they're young for the foreseeable future? It's a possibility. We, we'll, what we, we do not know if the vaccines are effective, how long will they be effective? Mm. You know, some vaccines are lifelong, some are only every year or two years. So those are to be answered, um, but it's a, it's a quite a possibility that it, we, it may if, so it depends on what the virus does. If you're able to eliminate it like the smallpox or polio, we may not need to. Mm. On the other hand, if it keeps making sporadic recurrences, then we may have to. Mm. So that's to be decided. And then last question is, uh, in the event that a virus is not found, that uh, over the, is that a, a possibility? Like, is there a chance of that happening? The vaccine is not uh, effective? Or for the next 12 to 18 months, we cannot Yeah, I mean, I think the, the exactly what I said is, uh, you know, the issue is not that we won't have an effective vaccine. We would just need to find one that does not have artifacts. So another side effect that I tell people is, so there was an infection like this one called the SARS that came out about 15 years ago or 10 years ago. And the vaccine that we've been working on for SARS, the big failure was that it caused actually a post-enhancement syndrome, which means that people who got the vaccine, when they got the actual infection, the infection was, they, they did worse. And they did worse mm -hmm. because their immune cells were primed and those immune cells went into overdrive when the infection mm -hmm. came in. Same thing we've seen with dengue. So those vaccines have not been successful. So those possibilities can happen, of course, uh, you know, and we won't know that till we try it. So if that happens, uh, what would, how would we move away from uh, social distancing and uh, what? We cannot, we cannot. So the bottom line is we, universal masking and social distancing is here to stay till we have a vaccine. There's no two ways about it. Anybody or anywhere we've tried to cut that corner, cases go up lives are lost so no question about it mm -hmm. but the bottom line is that vaccine looks promising it is likely going to materialize hopefully within a year it could be a year and a half could be a little bit shorter time frame but the vaccine is going to be our way out of the mess until that time we all have to do our social um, responsibility mm. thank you very much for your input today thank and you. thank you to everyone who tuned in okay. uh we'll be back next week with another edition uh, thank you all for tuning in. Tuning in. Have a good day.